try over and over and over again, but all the failure kind of bums you out. I'm the worst CEO. The last time I replaced myself, this guy sold my business in 13 months. He was a killer. Um, he, he left our company and then uh, I think three or four weeks passed away from fentanyl. Because now people are dying from fentanyl. All the time they're dropping. And he scores one time on the street because he's sick. One time. And he drops dead of fentanyl. Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, I am joined by Mr. Richard Tate. He is the founder of Cliffside Malibu, which, when he sold, was the most famous, incredible rehab center on planet Earth. I am uh, super stoked to be hanging with you tonight, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So we are here in his uh, home studio. The uh, what, what did you call it? The War Room. The War Room. Yeah, this is a pretty, pretty sweet setup. He's got a, uh, for those that are watching on YouTube and, and Spotify, he's got this really cool setup behind his home. It, uh, it's got like a disappearing wall that goes out to the, uh, the back, uh, the backyard area, beautiful fire. It's a, it's a vibe. It's a good vibe. It's quaint. Yes, sir. So Richard, man, you, uh, you went and you sold your business about, it's been about five years. Uh, five and a half years. Five and a half years ago, you sold off to private equity. It was a nine-figure exit. Um, tell us, tell us about how it felt when that took place, when you exited the business. You know, you go ahead and you're chasing it all the time, and then pretty much like everything else, you chase. When you get it, you hate it. Mm. And I remember the first week after the wire hit, it was the worst week of my entire life. Mm. You know, and it's interesting because people that haven't gone through that, it's really hard for them to understand. They're, they're like, sure, you pompous prick, you know, you've got nine figures wired into your account. How, did you sell 100% of the business or did you roll forward any? Uh, no, I didn't roll forward. Okay. So they're, you know, they're thinking at home, they're like, what a, what a pompous prick, right? Like, cause, cause I, I get it. And I, I, and I felt the same exact way. They, the thing that most people can't understand that both you and I have gone through is like, just because you have money doesn't make the problems go away. Right. And, and when you no longer have something to chase, it, it creates a different problem. That wasn't my issue. What was it? I missed my friends. Yeah. See, I worked with all my friends. Right. And I would go into work every day and I'd hang out with my friends and uh, we would do the best work. Hmm. And then, so I left and not only did I not have purpose, right, but I wasn't with my people. And so I had nothing to do. So walk me through like how you felt in that moment. The first thing I did was I went into shock because I couldn't believe, you know, uh, um, what we did. Um, but after that, the next, and it was on a Friday. Then it was a Saturday and a Sunday. And, you know, people don't work on, on weekends typically. Um, the client facing team does, but right. they didn't. And uh, so I wasn't missing anything. And then Monday came and I had nowhere to go. Hmm. And I was, I felt myself getting angry 
I just got angrier and angrier and angrier. And then it went to depression. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it was like, I was despondent. Now, let me just tell you, I had to go. I was out of steam. Right. I mean, I worked. For it, it was the right time to sell for me personally. Right. Financially. No. Right. I had to go though. Yeah. Okay. Because you do this for 15 years. It's, you want to light yourself on fire. You're, you're literally on fumes. Right. But I've had a long time to rest yeah. and think about this. Yeah. And that's why we opened Carrera. Mm. Carrera treatment, wellness, and spa. And let me tell you something, you're never going to see that again because private equity doesn't know how to do that. Okay. And not only that, but who's going to do that? Who's going to, who's going to put a spa, you know, and have that part of their treatment center? We have a world-class spa in the treatment center. And I hired the spa uh, manager, the spa director from the Ojai Valley Inn, which is a top 100 spa in the country, mm. right? And I just grabbed her out of there and she's with us. So when, when you say spa, is this, is this going to be like a day use spa or just part of the facility that people can go and utilize? No, this is not go, this is part of the program. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're teaching self-care yep. and self-love because here's the thing. I've been doing this and, and treated thousands of people and I can honestly, in 15 years, I can tell you, I've never met a person uh, who wanted to kill their, kill themselves with drugs and alcohol who loved themselves mm. ever. So these are not bad people. They're sick. This is their turn. And I want to make certain that it's successful. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, purpose is everything. Yeah. Okay. The people that matter, the relationships that matter in your life and, and how many people you can help yeah. because there's nothing to get. There's only to give. And if I live my life that way, then I'm blessed over and over and over again. Cause sure. I'm not the smartest kind in any room I walk into. So Richard, I mean, this sounds very close to home and personal. So, I mean, tell, tell us your story. I mean, obviously it sounds like yeah. you've been associated with, I mean, uh, this, this type of addiction. Well, like I said, I've, treated thousands of people yeah and uh out of the thousands of people it's not that it's contest but you know let's call it what it is um i might have seen out of the thousands of people maybe a dozen who were as bad as me mm. and i don't think there was anybody worse than me so like how long did you battle personally with it about two decades and and i'm assuming like going through that this, Almost two decades. I mean, is where all the inspiration came to go and treat these type of. Well, I got sober a certain way and I was lucky enough to have a therapist that used the stages of change model to help me. Now that doesn't treat anybody, but what it does is it tells you where you are in your arc of progress, right? So it's like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't know the way out, but you follow the light, right? Yeah. I had a certain outlook on this thing that I had never had before because I tried to get sober in AA and it took me three years just to get 30 days, mm. right? So it, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, you try over and over and over again, but all the failure kind of bums you out. Yeah. So I started doing therapy and I was lucky enough to have this woman that took care of me and I showed up on uh, 
you know, every Friday, never missed it. And at month 11, I think, she says to me, are you getting anything out of this? And I said, no. And she said, then why are you here every Friday without fail on time? And I said, because I'm slow, but I'll get it, I promise. It's just not there yet. Hmm. And at 15 months, I got it because therapy is a language hmm. and it's here, but it's really here. So there's three things I want to talk about. Sure. One, what led to drug addiction in the first place and kind of your path into it. Two. Well, let's do one at a time. Wait, I won't see. be able to remember. You, you're good. Hey, so I want kind of the beginning, the middle and the end Done. Is, is essentially what I'm looking for. So yeah, tell me, tell me about the beginning. What initially, like, why did you initially turn to it? And what, what was, was there an initial battle or were you just, you know, both feet in? I'm the blame the parent guy. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much that's just the way it is. Kids not getting their basic needs met as a child, right? You know, back in my day, you were getting hit all the time. Yeah. So me and my brothers just got wailed on all the time. And so what happens when that happens is if you're, let's say, five years old and you're getting beat up and you're told you were bad and everything else, you're, it's too scary for a five-year-old to say, you know, my parents, you know, are less than perfect, right? Um, it's too scary because you're relying on them for food and shelter, right. and emotional, whatever. Completely dependent. Completely dependent. Right. And... So instead, what they do is they internalize it and they say, I'm bad. And then every time they're disappointed or hit or ridiculed or embarrassed, they reinforce that thought. So pretty soon you're a 45-year-old man. You're letting a five, six, and seven-year-old run, run your, uh, 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 yourself. And now all of a sudden, you're bad. Okay, next, you take a drink and you start abusing it because, you know, your head's chewing on you, right? Right? And so that just quiets the noise. And if you're being tortured like that all the time and you get a respite from that, you're addicted. Mm. It's just like pain medication. Right. You know, they call it painkillers, okay? But it actually works better on emotional pain. Mm. Do you know how people get addicted to painkillers? We're a depressive nation. We're depressed. They take a painkiller. They forget it all. And, th and it's on. And then after seven days or so, right? They don't have it. It's got them. Hmm. So did yeah. I answer your question? Yeah. So that, that initially kind of drove you into that. You were trying to escape some of the childhood trauma and everything that you were. Yeah. It was such a, it was a really bad childhood for me. Huh. Right. And so then, and I had really bad examples. So I didn't know how to really socialize because yeah. it was such a dysfunctional family unit that I go out into the world and instead of ingratiating people, right. Or, you know, it, it, instead I'm alienating people. Right. Okay. Cause I don't know any better. How did that make you feel as a child? Like towards, towards others? Was it, was it jealousy? Was it hatred? Was it? No, first of all, you know, if your eyes are bad and you're going blind and you don't never put on glasses, you think that's how everybody sees the world. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any idea that, you know, I just figured, you know, I, my friends were getting beaten and, you know, I didn't, I didn't. You figured all parents were this way. That's right. Oh, man. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's a tough way.
tough way to live. Remember, I didn't, I didn't blame my parents. Right. I blamed myself. Right. You thought you were the bad person. That's right. Right. And, and so was it alcohol that you first turned to or what was it that you? No, the first thing I did, uh, was I smoked pot at 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. I sold, I stole it from my dad from his bathroom and then i took it to my friend's house and we smoked on the side of his house the first time mm. and immediately hooked no 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 uh, i liked it because of the social aspect of it yeah. i wasn't a likable kid mm. and so to bond because we're all communal people right we need community we need relationships we need friendships right and so to have that friendship with my buddy Christopher was, you know, to me, everything, Yeah. you know, I had nothing. At one point, would you say that like things got out of control? So you're 12 years old, you first start on down that path. The first time it got really out of control for me <clears throat> was I was 16 years old. My father told me to take the car into a mechanic. The mechanic drove me home, went into my bathroom and was in there for 45 minutes. So I knocked, I just walked in and he's smoking this white stuff out of a glass pipe. And before I could say anything, that pipe was in my mouth, shoved it in my mouth. And I took that one hit. This was from a mechanic. That's right. Wow. So it just completely random life just happened. Wow. And I took that hit of cocaine and that was it. I was done. Hmm. And that was like every dollar I had would go to that. Wow. And then so from then on, it, did it ever drive you to homelessness or on the streets? or? You know? Yeah, I was homeless for a short period of time. But, you know, I, I once lived in 25 places in five years. Wow. I did the math and I think it's. Every five months. Were you couch surfing or? No, 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 no. I'd get in and I'd, you know, I'd pay my first and last and security deposit. Stop paying, dude. I'd get paid and the check would turn into crack coupons. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Okay. So I keep, the only reason I know how many uh, places I lived is because when I went to make my amends and pay everybody back, I pulled my credit report. Oh, jeez. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're like 300 plus thousand dollars in debt and you've lived in 25 places in five years. Wow. Yeah. So I was that guy. Wow. And so like while this was happening, because you didn't even realize how many places you were in, had you lost like a level of consciousness where it was just like you were just day to day, crack pipe to crack pipe? Or The way I did it was... I typically did it for six to eight days in a row without sleep. And I'd eat a Big Mac once a week to keep myself alive. And did you have a job at this time? Or were you pushing drugs? Like what, what were you yeah, doing no, to survive? No, I've never sold drugs in my life. Oh, I had a job, but we're not going to talk about that because I don't know if the statute has run. <laughs> but I mean, you, you were working yeah, to, to some level. You had, a, you had an income, but uh, I mean, all the income was going to. Yeah. And I was doing really well too. I mean, I was doing very well. Yeah. I was making a lot of money and I was driving a $2,000 car. And, and all that money was going to drugs. All of it. Wow. Wow. So you find yourself in this. So at what point did you 
did you make the decision? I've had enough. That came a couple of times. The first time I got sober was because I ran out of money. Hmm. Okay. The second, and then I was sober for two years and nine months. And then I went on a 15 month run and then I got, so what, how, how did you, I mean, two years and nine months is quite a, a significant time, right? To be off drugs and everything else. Like what took you back? Yeah. I've got a 14 year old daughter. I don't think I'm going to tell you that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but needless to say, okay. I went on that 15 month run and I didn't run out of money because if I worked two years and nine months, I wasn't running out of money. Right. Right. That wasn't going to be my issue. So what ended up happening was, um, I've had maybe 300 different sobriety dates. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really bad. Wow. That's, you know, a loser in AA. Right. Right. This is the day. But I had five effortless ones and but as alcoholics, we don't focus on, we don't focus on the four gifts we were given, right? We only focus, I'm sorry, we only focus on the four gifts we were given, not the 300 failures. Right. Every second felt like an hour, right? And this time I was aware of it. And I was aware of it because of all the therapy I did. And it just intuitively, I got it. And I said, if this is going to be effortless, if I'm given, if I'm given that one gift and I don't know if I'm going to get it for another five to 10 years, if ever again, right, you better be serious about it. And I was just full of gratitude and I just thank God. And I said, thank you. And I won't let you down. And that was it. Yeah. That's awesome. So you go and you, and you make this change and it took. It took some time, right? Like you said, you had all these sobriety dates and, and everything. And then at what point did you decide, you know, I want to go and help people like me that have, that have gone through this? Like, was it day one? No, no, no. Um, I've always wanted to open a sober living. Yeah. I never knew anything about treatment because I'd never been. Right. But I went to a bunch of sober livings and, you know, at about 11 months, um, uh, I bought this house in Malibu in 2013, but it was too big and it made me feel like very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I bought a sweet little cottage down the street and I turned this thing into Cliffside. You turned it into Cliffside. That's right. And, you know, I started giving people tr uh, uh, therapy because that's what I, what I got. And I knew that if we took them through the stages of change, we could get in there exactly where, where they were and get them to, to the light. But I was told that that was illegal. And I'm like, what's illegal about it? And they said, that's called treatment. I said, wait a minute, I'm just giving these people more than I promised. Right. Right. And they're like, no, no, no. So I went and I got my, my license and to be able to give treatment. That's right. And that's when we did it. And it was in uh, 2005. 2005, you launch. I launch. You and and you and you start going. And based on some of our previous conversations, you said for the first few years, you know, you did you did fine. And it wasn't until later that you're like, we're gonna go and yeah. really crank this thing up. Yeah, I for years had an issue. I was conflicted. 
Um, seeing AA, you do it for fun and for free and you help people because you can. Right. And even though I had a treatment center and it's a business, I couldn't wrap my head around getting money for helping people. You felt guilty about it. it. Totally. And it drove me insane. And then I went. Like what, what were the voices in your head saying? Like, I'm just, I can't be doing this. Like what, what were you hearing? You're a d <laughs> Yeah. You're charging people to, to help save their lives. Right. And then I went to this Swami named Swami Radnoff and I would see him every single year and I would go over this with him and my pain all over it every year. And on year one, he looked at me and he said, ah, and I'm crying. And he looks at me and he says, wouldn't it be a better world if everyone could help people for a living? Wah, wah, right? And he just kept saying it over and over again and it didn't click. And the next year we went through the same exact dance. And the third year we went through the same exact dance, but I got it because remember I'm slow. <laughs> and that happened in, at the beginning of 2012. And that's when I could align myself with it and be heart centered over it. Right. And the second I was heart centered and I was doing everything for the right reasons, it blew up. Awesome. What, what do you, what do you think separate, separated you? Well, I mean, still separates you because you're back in the industry and whatnot from every other treatment center in the world. Oh, that's easy. Carrera. Carrera. There's a buzz around Carrera. That's insane. Okay. Everybody in the industry knows, you know, we're back. Okay. Carrera is like nothing you've ever seen before. When I owned Cliffside, I owned it for 15 years. So think of it this way. What if you took the best people that ever worked for you over that 15 year period, right? You'd have an all-star team. Absolutely. I've got 24 of those. Nice. And you're able to bring them back. They're the finest clinicians on the face of the earth. There's no debate about it. And what, what makes them the finest? Like what because, because not only are they the most learned, and I don't mean, uh, they have more experience because we had so many clients and they would, we worked at a pace that was, it was mindful yet it was like, it was at times it's like an ER room. Right. And the pressure is like that. So the only way you really survive that is with good souls who are working with you. And we've got the best souls. That's you awesome. Know? Yeah. So what, uh, what are some principles that you have lived by within your business that could apply to any industry that, that really has separated the way you ran business? You have to be heart centered. And what does that mean? You have to understand that there's nothing to get, that there's only to give. And if you do the right thing, the money will come. Don't worry about it. You cannot be in faith and fear at the same time. Go try it. It doesn't work. I thank God in advance. Nobody outworks me. Okay. And I'm heart centered. I leave. The idea is you leave this place better than you found it. And if you don't, if you're one of the best people in the world at treating drug addicts and alcoholics, 
and you don't do it, you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't do what you were called to do, right. The, what you've been put on, especially something like giving people back their family. Right. I mean, I I'm a father. Okay. And when you have kids as late in life as I did, you don't just love your kids. You love all kids. Right. Right. So I have a different perspective on giving a father back his daughter or a mother back her son. Right. I mean, there's nothing better than that because now people are dying from fentanyl all the time. They're dropping. I had a, had a guy that uh, worked for us. He was a salesman. Um, he had, uh, this was actually just a few months ago. Um, he, he left our company. And then uh, I think three or four weeks passed away from fentanyl. I had a client who had seven years sober, got into a car accident, got into a car accident, had surgery on his back. The doctors put him on opiates for longer than he needed to be. So now the doctor cuts him off. Now he's doctor shopping, going to all these doctors. Then all the doctors cut him off. And he scores one time on the street because he's sick. One time. And he drops dead of fentanyl. Now, I have another center, and it's called One Method. Carrera is for ultra high net worth individuals, okay, who have to be comfortable, as comfortable as humanly possible, in a very uncomfortable time. But the other center I have is closer to my heart. And I'll tell you why we get so many calls for Carrera that the people that we take, the people that can't afford Carrera, we funnel downhill to one method. Okay. One method is an in-network facility. What does that mean? That means they're for ordinary people. Okay. Got HMOs, hardworking Americans doing the right thing. And then they get, uh, maybe surgery or a bad bat, whatever it is. Okay. And then, you know, it's got them, they don't got it. So that's the thing we're interested in doing. And at Carrera, we're looking and, and one method, we're looking to have 1000 treatment beds, 1000, uh, military beds and 1000 mental health beds, because I believe solving social problem is worth a lot of money. After speaking to the Swami, that's what I think. And I know there's a problem in Washington too, because I landed there in Seattle and I drove into town and I saw the encampments and I couldn't take it. And in LA, same thing. And I don't like it. So what I want to do is I want to clean the streets. I want to literally pick people off the street and put them in a place and take care of them and change their lives for the better. That's what I want. I love it. So <clears throat> I love the mission of going and cleaning up what's happening. Is What in your mind, what can we do to prevent it from ever happening? Prevent what from ever happening? People getting into drugs. What are, what are, how, how do we, how do we solve the root of the problem? You know, it's interesting. I had, uh, um, Tim Ballard. Do you know who Tim is? I do not. So Tim, Tim don't Ballard. hate me, Tim. No, you're fine. Uh, he's like the world leader of fighting human trafficking. Okay. See, that makes me a bad person now. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, no, no problem. So I had him on my podcast and, you know, one of the, one of the things we talked about, so he, 
is fixing the symptoms, right? Like fixing the issues, like the people that are, like he's going and saving children in foreign countries that are already put into sex slavery. He's a hero. What's that? He's a hero. He's a hero. Right. But, you know, one thing that we talked about is like, he's sitting there grabbing the bodies as they're falling over the, the you know, the waterfall and he's catching some and not others, right? He's saving some lives, but many are perishing along the way. And, and he's like, I, his ultimate goal is to how, how do we get to the root of it? And so my question is in regards to that, like how, how can we as a society begin to approach and fix the root cause of all of this? Be present with your children. When you're with your children, you don't, you're not on your phone. See, if you don't make your child feel like he's somebody, okay, then he grows up feeling like he's nobody. I get down at my child's level and I talk to him. Sometimes when he was a kid, you don't understand him. That's great, baby. Wow. Right? That's it. The words don't matter. It's the connection, right? And it's the soft heart, right? If you're like that with your children, if you're attuned to their needs, I'm not saying spoil your kids. There's right. nothing to do with it. Listen, my kids are good people, really good people. I have no idea how they turned out that way. <laughs> okay. But I tried to do the best I could. Okay. And this is the result. Of course, my ex-wife is the best mother on the face of the earth. But to the extent that I contributed to it, it had to have been good. You know, because my kids are good. What, I, what I'm hearing you say is like, we need to fix the family. We need to fix the family unit, the connection between fathers and mothers and children and uh, being, being better examples, going back to the, the basic foundations that made America great at one point. Modeling is everything. Modeling is everything. I had a bad model. Okay. My ex-wife had a great model. She turned out great. I turned out horrible. Okay. Now I saved it. Okay. Because, you know, by the grace of God, I was taken care of. Okay. But it's kind of like we had a deal like, okay, I'm gonna take care of you. Okay. But <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna pay me back. Yeah. Right. And that's what I've spent my life doing, man. Yeah. Paying it back. You know, uh, I know in like uh, AA and like the 13 steps and those type of things, I know one of the big focuses on on having a, a belief in a higher power. Mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you attribute that to your success or your recovery or anything like that? Well, here's here's the thing about God. I love God. If I think about it too long, I get emotional. Because the way I operate is I do what I'm told, what I feel, right? And I just do what my boss says. And we have the same boss. And that's just the way it is. Because we've been talking for a while now, and I'm not a Mensa candidate, okay? I operate one way heart-centered, and nobody outworks me. 
and that's it. And I hire the best people in the world. We set the culture, we set the vision, and then I let them do their thing because I've never hired anybody that wasn't smarter than me. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're pretty phenomenal at building culture. What, what would you say, like some of the core things that you focus on for creating a great culture? Accountability. Like there's nobody who's, it would be funny. If somebody in our company said, well, he threw me under the bus. If we ever heard those words, they'd be given their walking papers. That's not how we do it here. Everybody is accountable for everyone else. People make mistakes. You come correct. You say, hey, we f here. Sorry, we screwed up here. I'm sorry, we screwed up. I'm sorry, we screwed up here. Okay. And then once we hear that, it's like, it's a hug and a pat on the back. And it's like, thanks, man. Okay. And they know not to do this again. You look at them you're like, okay, we're done here. We're not going to do that again. Nope, we're not. And then it's over because they came to you. You didn't have to go to them. That's who these people are. Can you imagine having 57 people like that? You can rule the world. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Sounds like a fantastic place to work. Great, great place to be around. Well, they believe it. They believe in it. Look, they've all seen it. Everybody knows how this ends, right? So all I care about and all they care about, okay, is giving people back their loved ones because that's what we do. I love it. It's a great, it's a great vision. It's a great mission. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a big guy or I, I'm a big believer in focusing on vision and mission and that mission driven businesses change the world. Right. And, and ultimately are the most financially successful, right? Because money is simply a derivative of value created. And especially if you're too stupid to know, the, you know, how hard it is at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, you, you're good if you don't know. Right. So do you see yourself selling this business or growing and, and this being the passion for the rest of your life? I just told you I wanted 3,000 beds so I could treat. So 3,000 times 12 is what, 36? Yep. So I just told you I want to treat 36,000 people a year. Yeah. Does it sound like I'm retiring? No, no, not, does it sound not like, at all. Does it sound like we're selling? You know, but the, the beauty of is when you have a big vision like that, you can accomplish it a whole lot faster than you realize. Oh, yeah. So, what, I mean, what happens if we're five years down the road and you've accomplished it? Are you keeping, are you going to keep running? After my last experience? Absolutely. I mean, look, it, nothing, nothing is, you know, I could get sick, yeah. right? And then, you know, you've got a family, right? But I've already sold a business. I know what that feels like. If I'm going to sell a business, it ain't going to be, you know, for that. Yeah. Okay. If I sell a business, it's going to be after I find out who we are, you know, I want to find out who we are. I mean, if you run fast, you have to run fast. So running businesses, selling businesses, running incredible culture, obviously you've dealt with a lot of difficulty, right? Like going and building a nine figure business is no easy task. You keep saying nine figures. I never told you nine figures and I'm not allowed to talk about it. Oh, Hey, that's uh, it's what I, what I read. Okay, good. It's what I read. Okay. So it's yeah. out there. Okay, I'm it, sure. It's out there. So you sell this uh, large business, right? <laughs> <laughs> if, right. if we will. Sure. Um, you know, 
what, how do you deal with adversity and difficulty? Right? Like what, what is your methodology in addressing like, whether it's, you know, an employee difficulty or whatever, like, you know, each, each one of us have a little bit different philosophy on that. So the 12 people, the core people that I had, they deal with it. And most of the time, um, I don't even know about it. See, you have to understand I'm the worst CEO on the face of the earth. Now I was telling, I, I would probably say that's not true. No, no. See, you think I'm being self-deprecating, but you'd be wrong. Okay. I'm an entrepreneur. I build things. Okay. You're, you're a good CVO, chief visionary. Officer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dreamer. Yeah. I ask the right questions. Okay. I'm, what if we could do that? And then I go and find out whether we can do that. Okay. That's how I operate. Which I would say makes you an incredible CEO. No, I'm the worst CEO. The last time I replaced myself, this guy sold my business in 13 months. He was a killer. Hmm. Okay. This time. And he made significantly more than what you made. Oh, he beat the out of me. <laughs> it was a, like, you know, like just worked me. Right. And, um, I mean, I helped out when I, when I got there, I mean, I made certain to plug the holes and fill the gaps because these guys typically have three moves, right. right. And then they disregard other stuff. So you're there plugging the holes. Right. Um, so there was that, but this new CEO that I'm about to uh, marry. Okay. That's what I call it. It's a marriage. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I love this woman. She is so much better than this other guy. She is killer. She took a business that was worth almost nothing and sold it for 850 million bucks in five years. That's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Right. So better than most. <laughs> She's the best thing ever. Yeah. She's the best thing Sounds ever. Awesome. And the only reason I'm talking about this right now is because before you air this, she'll be signed, sealed, and delivered. I love it. So she won't know how, how pregnant I am. <laughs> I love it. So this, uh, this new treatment center that you're working on, is it just for people that struggle with drugs and alcohol? Carrera Treatment Wellness and Spa is for people with substance use disorder, obviously alcohol right. use. But today's alcoholic, and today's substance uh, user almost never is just that. Everybody has some element of a co-occurring disorder. So for example, bipolar disorder, or uh, it could just be a major stress or major anxiety or depression, um, borderline personality disorder, right? It could be all these things uh, or any number of those things. And so you treat them together because think about it logically, right? If you've lost a decade or two, right, to drugs and alcohol, you know, you ain't getting to rehab on a winning streak. You're walking in broken. Right. Right. And that's part of what the spa is about. It's like, think about this. People walk in completely busted, right? They've lost their teeth. A lot of times I had my teeth were all cracked. Mm. I couldn't see right? Um, I hadn't been to a doctor or a dentist in a decade. I mean, I walked in completely broken. And here what we do is 
we put you right back together. Okay, because we've got doctors on uh, there, like with a phone call in 10, 15 minutes, right? Nurses on staff the entire time, 24 uh, seven, like at least a five or six to one ratio for, I'm sorry, maybe 10, I don't remember. I just did it and I don't remember, okay? But it was abusive. I mean, it was so, it was so intent on meeting their needs, showing them that they're important, like from the right, from the beginning, we're undoing it all, right? I ain't got nothing to do other than be of service to you and take care of you because you're worth it. That's the idea. And all these spa treatments, people can think it's elitist or whatever. Hey, guess what? That ain't for them. It's for me. I'm my clientele because I got to tell you something. If I had a choice between going to a treatment center with bars on the windows, okay, or uh, uh, getting sober, I or, or or staying loaded, I'd rather stay loaded. Mm. And I don't care who hears it or what people think about it because they don't know. Right. Okay. What What about people like us? Where do we go? Right. Okay. We get the top notch treatment. We get treated well. This is something that people who who are going through a horrible time in their lives and who have a life of comfort and convenience, this is for them. Okay, that's it. I love it. Top tier, serving the, yeah, I love it. And, and these people, when you, when you get them, right, remember, these are the guys that, you know, unless there was a God, for, God forbid a specific injury, like God forbid a rape or a huge beating, or right, Some, something like that, it's pretty much always not getting your needs met, okay? And it can be from another relationship, but it's almost always the parents, right? So when they come here, we're attuned to their needs before they even know they have one. Mm. That's the level of attunement we have, mm. okay? They don't have to ask for a light bulb to be replaced or toilet paper or any of that. That's nonsense. I love it sounds like a high quality I'm, I'm excited to see what you do with it and you're and this is all pretty new right you said you recently yeah we recently got our license but i've been running one method because i was chomping at the bit right so we bought this in-network center and everybody came back to do it and uh uh we've got this line one method is going to be the same thing as carrera the same treatment yeah so they're going to get the best treatment in the world they're just not getting wraps and scrubs and you know uh, uh, facials and massage and you know they're just not getting that stuff i love it richard thank you so much for one sharing your vision I, I can tell the passion that you have i mean the emotion that comes out and like just your excitement to change and impact and develop lives how can my listeners the people that are tuning into this podcast how can we help push forward the mission that you're trying to accomplish well if anybody has a problem with a, a loved one, okay, and they want them to have uh, uh, the best shot at getting well, all they have to do is go to CarreraTreatment.com, and that's no E, <clears throat> no E, all A's, C-A-R-R-A-R-A, treatment.com, and they'll talk to uh, uh, one of the most compassionate, professional, caring human beings in the world and i know who's answering the phones because we're all close and i've trained them all right it. so what we do then is if they can't come to us 
we send them to one method. And if they can't go to one method, we do whatever we can to find a place for them. Because if I ever had anybody that worked for me that just got off the phone with somebody because they couldn't go to one of our centers, they wouldn't be here and they know it. And they, and I don't have souls that would even think that way. Everybody that calls gets the same treatment and the same love and the same care. That's somebody's kid. That's somebody's father. That's somebody's grandfather. Okay. They matter to us. Yeah. I love that. And the, the one thing I know about addiction is that it, it doesn't, you know, only affect one certain class of people. It's every class, right? Like there's people silently battling. There's, you know, people that are going through things that we don't even realize. And, and so I think this message is, is necessary to, to be heard. To uh, kind of wrap this, this whole uh, episode up, I want to go back to one of the things that we talked about earlier. You know, you talked about at your exit, you, after your exit, you went through a level of depression. Oh, yeah. How did you come out of that? I got back. I came back. What did you do? I grabbed my friends. I grabbed my people. And we came back. We opened Carrera. You found you found new purpose. Well, I refound yeah. my purpose. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for for sharing for for being vulnerable tonight and sharing your story. Oh, sharing. please! I'm like John Boehner. I'm a crying. I'm a god <laughs> baby. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, thank you so much for sharing your your message with us. Until next time.